This is your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Hope you guys are having a good day out there today. If I haven't shared this yet, programming note, there are no shows Thursday or Friday this week. I think I might have mentioned that on a past show, but just to be clear on that, just taking a little bit of extra summer time off, um, burning a little bit of that vacation time, but after this week should be back into that regular five-day-a-week schedule as as the uh, everything kind of builds up and catches up. I mean, August gets a little bit busier once the Vikings are now into, you know, <clears throat> deep in the heart of training camp and then preseason. Twins are going to have an interesting month of August. There's going to be plenty to talk about. So just getting a little extra time out of the way before things truly heat up, although they're pretty heated up already. We got lots to get to today. Ben Gessling, who covers the Vikings, will be with me in a little bit, joining me from Vikings training camp to talk through a whole bunch of interesting stuff. Uh, I just hope he's not recording any of it uh, with his uh, with his phone video-wise, because that would be wrong. Um, don't want to give the opponent any edges along those lines. Um, Got to get to a Gophers basketball injury story as well. Some more bad luck for them with Isaiah Enan out for the season, joining Parker Fox with preseason injuries that are really going to test their depth, especially in the front court. But first, what did I miss? Twins here at the jump. Just had an interesting thought as I was, you know, kind of following along with the game last night. We've talked plenty in the last, you know, week, two weeks, trade deadline coming up. Um, twins lead in the AL Central, you know, slipping, rising, slipping, rising. This team flawed in a lot of ways. The pitching in July was terrible, uh, second worst in the majors in terms of ERA. And then, so they get to August 1st. They're, you know, gasping for, for air. They're, you know, just a game up on Cleveland, two games up on Chicago going into the night, and they put Aaron Sanchez on the mound, a, la- a guy who's Really, his last good year was 2016, if I'm not mistaken. Someone who has a 5.31 ERA since, you know, since 2016 when he was 15 and two, he was an All Star that year. Ever since then, it's been downhill for him. But Twins desperate for pitching. So you know, on the day that everybody's making trades, talking about trades, Twins run Aaron Sanchez out there on the mound, a 30 year old reclamation project who's you know, struggled already at the major league level this year. Did okay in St. Paul, and you're like, this, this is, this is, this is what they're doing. This is the best they've got to offer in the middle of a pennant race, and they can't hit at all in this game. Sanchez actually pitches pretty well, so that's a good, that's a good omen for them. But they, you know, he he departs the game after five innings. Twins are down two nothing to Detroit. You're like, this, this has got to be the beginning of the end, right? They they're 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 losing to Detroit, but. Get to the later innings. They manage to tie the game in the eighth inning. And they get to the ninth, and they waste all sorts of chances. They've got first and second, nobody out. And then Nick Gordon gets picked off third uh, to end the inning. And it's like, okay, here we go again. This is just not a team that's going to, this not a team that's going to, you know, compete in a meaningful way. And. Tenth inning, Detroit goes ahead. You know, you got the the ghost runner, the uh, the starting runner, whatever you want to call it. They go ahead three two, and you're like, okay, there's going to go down meekly in the bottom of the tenth, and then Jose Miranda 
who already had an RBI, a two-run a two run hit in, earlier in the game, ties the game. And then Gio Urshela, who knew dad, hits a two-run home run to end the game 5-3. And this team, you know, you can't stay mad at them. I guess that's my overall point. You can be frustrated with, you know, the pitching predicament, the injuries, the, the lack of you know, bullpen care that went into the start of the season. You can be frustrated by some of the excruciating losses they've had. You can look at the sum total of everything and say, ah, how can they even really meaningfully upgrade uh, before today's trade deadline? What you can't, What's hard to do is you can't stay mad at this team because every time you try to say they're just not good enough, they're, they're not going to get it done, uh, they win a game like this, or they show you just enough, or they show you something where it's like, okay, this is this is improbable. They shouldn't win like this. They shouldn't get a start like that from Aaron Sanchez. They sh- they shouldn't be piecing it together like this. They you know clutch hitting this is you know is not not sustainable. But they do things like this that just say you know what. As frustrating as this team can be, as as much as you might look at it and say. Ah, even if they won the division, could they even win in the playoffs? Could they even win a playoff game, break that 18-game streak? It's hard to stay down on this team for too long. And I guess that's the overall point I want to make today. You know, Royce and I went through kind of the laundry list of why you know upgrades at the deadline probably aren't feasible or necessarily even smart. That was a lot of Monday show. And I think Patrick's right. Like This team could be in trouble as the years go on, they might not be. You don't know because some of it depends on health and depends on further development. But in the right here, in the right now, with 60 games left in the regular season, they're still in first place, a game up on Cleveland. They gained a game on Chicago, which most people think is the team they're really going to have to fend off when everything comes down to the wire. They're three up on Chicago. Now, all three of those teams, by the way, five and five in their last 10 games. So just kind of holding steady. That's very AL central of them. And I guess, like I said, the overall theme that I took from yesterday's game was this is a team that you just can't stay mad at. You can't stay too frustrated frustrated with because when the games are played, they find a way to win in fashions like this, and then everything is at least not forgotten, but forgiven to a certain degree. MGM Wine & Spirits is the choice for savings, service, and a great selection of spirits, premixed cocktails, wines, and of course, ice-cold beers and hard seltzers. With over 30 locations throughout the Twin Cities and beyond, there's an MGM near you. Head to mgmwineandspirits.com to find a convenient location in your area. Get social. Follow MGM on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and trends. Make great moments with MGM Wine and Spirits, your locally owned and operated choice for over 50 years. Save time, save money. Shop MGM. I am happy to have Ben Gessling on Daily Delivery today. Ben, of course, covers the Vikings for the Star Tribune, does a great job of it, and is smack dab in the middle of camp. Put on the pads today for the first time. No, you didn't, but uh, but they did on <laughs> Monday. Um, that'd be really that'd be, wouldn't that be something if you showed up with pads today, Ben? Yeah, I mean, I I, I would have to go find some pads that fit. I, I think uh, that that would be a bit of a surprise, though. You know, we were standing close enough for that practice on. Friday, I think it was at U.S. Bank Stadium that, you, you know, you kind of the occasional moment where you fear for your life uh, as players are coming through, coming right at, running right at you. Like, probably wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world to have pads on in that setting. You are not as broad shouldered as someone like Brian O'Neill, um, but uh, you could you could you could you could throw the pads on. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, if it's, uh, it depends on who's hitting me. It, That's right. If it's, uh, if it's a skill position player, I, I might be able to keep my feet under me. Brian, ben, I have, ben, I have a question um, for you. Have you yourself been uh, taking videos of practice and displaying them on social media? Because that seems like something Kevin O'Connell does not want people to do. Because while you're not a fan, Ben, um, this is, we're all on the same team here. Yeah, I, I personally have not been taking video. I just, it's never interested me that much to do okay. video of practice. So I'm not really the person uh, whom the new video policy probably affects the most. But yeah, it's, we are, um, we are cracking down on video for both reporters and fans from open practices in an effort to keep other teams from seeing what the Vikings are doing uh, as part of it. At least the first day that fans were allowed in after this policy was pretty prominently displayed, it didn't seem to work. There were, there were quite a few fans that had put up video of just about every play of practice, including several that had then gone to find an old copy of the Rams playbook and link up what the Vikings were running on the field with the play that, it mirrored from the Rams playbook and one would assume that a fair amount of the Rams playbook from the last couple of years where Kevin O'Connell was there is similar to what the Vikings have. So um, we'll see if, if the wishes to have loose lips, not sinking Viking ships um, work a little better or heated a little better uh, in future days than they were in the first open practice on Saturday. Now, is this typical? I mean, is this just kind of an understood policy or something they something that's been asked of, you know, when you covered the Mike Zimmer regime? Did they were they as concerned about fans videoing practice? Ben shaking his head. So, no, this is a new. No, they were not. Is, is Kevin O'Connell particularly paranoid then? Is this a function of his? You know, he was with the Patriots for a while, Ben. I'm just saying, is he is he of the Bill Belichick, um, you know, less is more. Maybe maybe even Sean McVay, less is more um, uh, style of, uh, you know, giving away the, the, the company secrets. Well, I, I would say a few things here. Mike Zimmer, we, we did not have that restriction placed upon us in terms of putting a video up of practices. And I don't know, I don't think, and fans really didn't either. This was a new thing this year. And, and that might have been because, Mike Zimmer wasn't spending enough time on social media to be aware of the effect of it. I personally think it's a bit over the top, I mean, especially given the fact that the Vikings run the same offense in broad strokes, at least as a lot of teams in the league, including their biggest rival, the team that they're going to play in week one. They also run the same defense in broad strokes as said rival. So you could argue that that makes it so that you need to have even more secrecy because granular details then may make the difference. I still tend to think it comes down to which players execute the best and which players are the most talented when they do it. So uh, Kevin O'Connell's reasoning for it though, at least as he's explained to us is that he has in the past benefited from that. He has been the guy that has been able to go on social media or has had maybe bosses tell him go on social media and find videos of what teams are doing from fans at training camp. So that's his reasoning for it. I don't particularly think it is going to make a huge difference in the Vikings one loss record this fall, but uh, that's at least what he has been going with at this point. And we'll see if any changes come to that or if fans start to, to heed that policy. I, I'm not saying that fans should or shouldn't. I'm not here to say that we're all part of the same team because the reality is at least in, in the media, 
Um, we are not here to ensure that the Vikings win games. We are here to give fans a better idea of what is going on with the team that they care so much about, but it is not our job to try to help the Vikings win. It is not our job to try to help the Vikings lose. It's our job to write about what happens. It's uh, there's no great ulterior motive here. And uh, for us, it is, if people are posting video and some reporters do probably more than me, um, it is an effort to help fans see what's going on with the team. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think on Monday they were uh, live streaming a portion of practice as well. So, um, you know, it's there, there's a lot of business and football interests that um, kind of have different uh, goals, perhaps. Interesting. Um, if one was out at camp, regardless of whether they were videoing things or not what what would they have observed in these first you know handful of days what are your early training camp observations from what you've seen so far whether it's style whether it's specific players or you know personnel groups things like that well i think so far i mean the, the secondary is going to be a big part of what we have our eyes on through camp because they have a lot of things that they're trying to get right in that group that need to go right pretty quickly andrew booth Early on has has looked good. He has um, made a couple of plays, at least in the non-padded practices, that were fairly impressive. And, and we'll see kind of how things shake out as we get a few more days into the padded sessions and, and how things go when he is able to press receivers and when he's able to uh, go up against the same guys, you know, a couple of different times. But made a couple of nice plays last week. Certainly a guy that the Vikings need to to take a step forward quickly, especially if he's going to possibly fight for that starting cornerback spot. I, you know, I'm keeping an eye on that. I think it will be interesting to get a further look at the pass rush in some of these padded sessions, because at least early on, Zedaria Smith and Daniel Hunter have looked awfully good. I mean, they've, they've looked awfully fit. They've looked healthy and they're both dynamic players when they are healthy and then they come in in shape. So seeing how they develop and, and then just seeing how, Kevin O'Connell uses players. It's sort of this fine line, I think, between, and he's talked about when we go, when we put the pads on, we got to go. We got to try to be. Is he channeling as, Chip Scoggins? What's he he doing is channeling Chip Scoggins. We got to go. Got to so, go. Yeah, it, it, there is an effort, I think, to make the most of the padded practices you have, but he's also not trying to overload players, and he wants to be as healthy as he can, especially when. Week one is a division game against the team that has won the NFC North the last three years. So um, how he uses Dalvin Cook in practices, does he find ways to mix up some of the workload? Uh, do you see guys like Alexander Madison and Kenny Nwangu get more reps with the first team? Uh, Ty Chandler, a rookie that, that could end up in that mix. I'm, I'm curious to see how some of those things work out as well, especially if they're trying to keep Dalvin Cook a little bit fresher as he has into the year. You mentioned um, Booth. One final thought before we move on to a couple other things. He, you made a good point on Access Vikings last week. You made more than one good point, but one that, mm -hmm. that one that stuck with me was how the secondary right now, at least among their primary players, doesn't really have someone who's kind of in that established mid-career role. That you know, you've got a lot of younger guys like Cameron Dantzler, Booth. You know, whoever's going to be the start, you no know, opposite starting safety, either Lewis Seen or Cameron Bynum. And then you've got the, you know, Harrison Smith, Patrick Peterson, you know, good players still, but questions about, you know, 
how long they will remain at a certain level. Should that, I mean, that that's an interesting thing. I don't know if it's a problem so much, but it's something to watch on this in the secondary and that there's not like that one guy where you're like, yeah, this guy, you know exactly what you're going to get, whether it's because of, you know, age or whether it's because of just flat out ability. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it, whether it's a problem or not, we'll see, but it does become more incumbent on this coaching staff and some of these players to get everybody up to speed quickly. I think when you, especially when you have a new defense, you're going to have more work to do to get a rookie or a third year player that doesn't have a ton of snaps under his belt. Cameron Dantzler has a couple of portions of seasons, 10, 11 games and has showed in, in those two seasons that he has some work to do in coverage. So you're going to have to get guys up to speed quickly. I, I think if it all works and you have a 23-year-old corner or 22-year-old corner, whatever it happens to be, that it gets it and is able to be here for a long time, that's great. You'd rather have a 23-year-old that gets it than a 27-year-old that gets it because then you have more time. But there's no getting around the fact that that position in the NFL, the learning curve is awfully steep. And you are going to have a really, really hard time being competitive if you can't cover over the course of a season. The, the quarterback slight they're facing probably isn't quite as tough as what we've seen in the last few years, but you start off with Aaron Rodgers, you're going to play the, your fair share of, of accomplished passers throughout the season. You know, the, there are going to be coaches that take advantage of that secondary and, and it's inexperience if that becomes a problem. So, uh, you know, it's one of those spots that I think, being young is okay if you can develop, but the whether or not you can develop is, I think, the big question. And, and it puts a lot of work on everybody to get up to speed in time. I've written down, Ben, square peg, round hole problem. And by that, I mean, I'm, I'm wondering about the defense right now. And certainly that's been the deficiency, the bigger deficiency on this team, at least in terms of offense and defense in the last couple of years, they finished near the bottom of the league. Both those years, the offense was clearly ahead of the defense in a lot of individual games and, and overall. So switching to a three, four um, on its, on its face makes a certain amount of sense. Like what's been, what you've been doing isn't working. So try something different. This is, this is what O'Connell wants to run. This is what he's brought in. On the other hand, as, as you think about it, and as you've seen players, you know, a little bit so far, and you've heard them talk, who, who should we be watching in particular on the defense as they transition to a three, four, and in your estimation, how concerned should we be about, you know, players who really haven't played much in a three, four, figuring that out, or is that a little bit overblown because of how often they'll actually be in that as a base formation? I mean, it's probably a little overblown. It, it is new. It's interesting. We've focused on it a lot because of that. But well, I think when I asked Kevin O'Connell about that in his introductory press conference, he said, we're going to be in nickel or a sub package 75% of the time anyway. So you're not going to see it enough that it changes things all that much for a guy like Daniel Hunter. But there are going to be times where you see it. And there are certainly going to be times, I think, where teams say, let's keep them in their base personnel in case there's a matchup we like, or we like the idea of Daniil Hunter having to divide his responsibilities between possibly dropping into coverage or coming after the quarterback. I think most of the time you're going to see him come after the quarterback. Again, we probably shouldn't overstate it, but I do think you'll see teams maybe try to keep the Vikings in that base to see if everybody understands how to execute their assignments and, and do what they're supposed to do with a new look. So 
Hunter, I think the skill set is such that he can kind of do anything. <laughs> I think he yeah. has the instincts, has the speed, certainly has the range to I mean, if if your hope is that he's Anthony Barr or what Anthony Barr could have been in a sure. three four, I think there's a decent chance that happens. Um, he certainly is better at beating a, a, a tackle than Anthony Barr ever was. And in, in, it's a different role. Yes. But he has the length to change some of those throwing angles. I mean, you know, you talk about this in basketball with guys being long and athletic shout out David Kahn, but being able to change shot angles is, is part of what happens. And that was one of the things you'd always hear with Anthony Barr. I, I think the Neil Hunter gives you some of that where, trying to fit a ball around him is going to be difficult. I think he's fast enough, athletic enough to do it. But again, you have to see that happen in real time. So I think teams are going to try to test that a little bit early. We saw teams certainly pick on Anthony Barr early in his career, and I wouldn't be surprised if you see a little bit of that going forward. The other place that I'm curious about is defensive end, because you have two defensive tackles in Armand Watts and Dalvin Tomlinson that are probably going to start at those ends. And lining up as a three-technique, in a four three is not that different than lining up as a five technique in a three four. I mean, you're shifting over a gap. It's not that big of a deal, but there is probably a little more of a hope that you can get some pass rush from those guys. I mean, the, the primary responsibility for that line is going to be let's suck up blockers and make it so those linebackers can run and get a lot of our passing our, our pass rush from that group. But you'd like to have a little bit of it from the front if you can get it. And I think Seeing how those players adjust to that, you know, a little bit more work probably setting the edge in some cases, depending on how teams you know, match the Vikings up, there's probably going to be a little bit of a learning curve there. I, I think overall, these are probably things that are on the, mar- on the margins more than, oh my gosh, this defense can't function with all of these players moving around. But like we're saying, a, a play or two here or there, especially we saw it last year, every single week, that could tip a game. So those players figuring out their assignments in a new defense, I, I certainly think is worth keeping an eye on. You referenced David Kahn for any, any, uh, any problems you might've had with Quase Adolfo Mensa's first draft. He at least did not select four point guards, none of them being the correct one in Steph Curry. <laughs> so there's that going for him, which is nice. Um, ben Gessling, a couple more things for you. One, um, I saw our colleague, Mark Craig wrote about the wide receivers the other day. We've talked about, you know, kind of the depth behind Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. Um, it's a good, it's an interesting thing, especially if they want to do more three wide receiver sets, things like that. Um, how, how much are they going to be able to do? Do you think what, what Kevin O'Connell wants, do they have enough personnel there to kind of run all the offense that he wants to run? Yeah, I, I think they do. I mean, KJ Osborne, I think is for real. I, I think, the year he had last year, and there were enough moments where they counted on him in big spots that I don't look at that as, well, somebody had to get the ball. He just benefited from Jefferson and Thielen getting all the coverage. I mean, yes, you certainly benefit from some of that. But I, I think he came through in enough spots that I would expect he's going to make a meaningful contribution this year. And then you've got a lot to figure out with the receivers beyond that. I, I, my big question is what happens at tight end? Uh, if, especially if Irv Smith gets hurt at any point, I don't know what they have beyond him in that group. Do you have somebody athletic enough to be a receiving target? Nick Muse would be the obvious option. Um, he's a rookie. You got a lot to figure out with him, and you got a lot to figure out in terms of how, where you can use him 
what kind of a role you can carve out for him. That would be the other spot I'd ever question. I, I think they will have enough to play 11 personnel a lot. I think they will find some ways to get CJ Ham on the field. I think they will like him. I think they still see a role for him. And you've seen them in the last couple of years use two running backs more than two tight ends anyway. It's kind of been this shift from a lot of 12 personnel under Kevin Stefanski to a lot of 21, uh, sometimes 22 personnel with the Kubiaks. So I, I think you'll see some of that continue. Ham, I think they like. You know, Kyle Juszczyk is going to be here for joint practices in a couple of weeks. Ham probably is fit for that type of a role where he can do a lot of different things, not just be the, the thumper fullback that, you know, of Tom Rathman, Michael Tom Rathman. Wow. Yeah. You know, the guys with the neck rolls, I, yeah. you, it's, it's a different position. It has to be at this point, but I think they'll find ways to use him due to use CJ ham. But my question is more when they're not in 11 personnel, do they have enough depth to tight end? If something should happen to Irv Smith, I, I think that's one area to, to keep an eye on it. If, if you see any of those guys, Johnny Munt, Nick Muse, Zach Davidson, kind of show something in the preseason, that that would be a big help to them, I think. Final thing, Ben, and you know, we're still very early in camp. I don't know if the answer to this question changes at all, but just based on, you know, just, just maybe sometimes camp gives you a general feel for what you think about a team's direction. As you think about the Vikings right now and kind of the variance of how this year could go, I'm trying to decide for myself right now, and I've, I've, I feel like I'm still leaning towards the better side of this, but if you had to pick right now, what's more likely seven and 10 or 10 and seven, understanding that it could be anything even above or below that. But if we're being realistic, probably going to fall in that range. Like it has typically with Kirk cousins as quarterback. Um, what, what do you think at this moment? I guess I'm with you. I think I'd lean more towards the high side of that than seven and 10. I, Based that on a couple of things. I, I think they are going to be better offensively. I, I do buy to some extent that this is going to be a better fit for Kirk Cousins in a lot of ways than it's been in the past. And, and he's been efficient. He's not been great. Uh, he's been efficient in the offenses of the past. And I think this setup, you know, we've talked about it. I do think that matters for him. Uh, having the relationship that he's going to have, I think, with Kevin O'Connell, I think will be helpful for him. So the offense I, I expect will be a little more efficient than it was. Maybe you're in the top five or six rather than eight, 10, 12, you know, wherever they've been the last couple of years, the defense is still, I think a big question, but the schedule I think sets up a little more favorably than what we've seen in the past. You're not looking at this gauntlet of these teams were in the playoffs last year. These teams all have, established quarterbacks quite in the same way. I mean, if you think about it, after Rodgers, it's Jalen Hurts, then it's, I think, the Lions at home, and then it's the Saints, and their quarterback situation is not what it's been. And no. then you look at the Bears at home with, with uh, Justin, Justin Fields, Fields coming in. Yeah, um, yeah so there's, there's not this, and then it's, I think, down to Miami to face Tua, and then after that, it's the bye. So, I mean, that that's really your first few games of the year. It's not a slate that's going to punish you for being inexperienced on defense the same way that we might have seen with some of these schedules they face in the past. It's not all of these quarterbacks that have all of the answers to the test, so to speak, and can decipher anything you're doing because they've seen every look known to mankind. I mean, you're getting that week one, yes, but I don't think the schedule – 
puts them in a spot where they're going to be up against it quite as much. And, and we've seen that in the past that the team that I think of probably most benefiting from this is 2012, where they had a soft early schedule. They got some wins early. They got some confidence going. And over the, the course of that year, they started to say, we can play with a lot of these teams. Was that a great team? No, but it ended up winning 10 games. They won the last four, including beating the Texans and the Packers who were both playoffs, both division winners the last two weeks of that season to get into the playoffs. So that can happen. If a team gets hot, starts to feel itself a little bit, I think that can add up and help you out in the last half of the season when the schedule does get a little bit tougher. So I tend to still think 10 and seven, I think, well, I'd say this, I think that's possible. I think something in that range is possible. So we'll see how it goes, but I think there's enough that, plays in their favor, at least in terms of the quality of the opponents. The travel schedule early is a little tough. Their first three road trips are their longest three of the year, basically. But um, you don't see Josh Allen until November. I think that's a big help. You don't see players like that quite as often early in the season. Yeah. One other schedule thing that I've mentioned probably way too much, but nine home games, seven true road games, and one neutral game in London. I mean, it's a it's a weird little edge. You would think that the neutral game would come in a year, maybe where you had, you know, eight and eight with the one. So they've, you know, they've really got a, a schedule home and away advantage. Now home field advantage maybe isn't what it used to be in, in any sport now with how travel works for a lot of these teams. And nobody has a super long flight to get to Minnesota, but it's, it's a, it's a consideration at the very least. So. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I, I think the noise at us bank stadium is something of a factor and yeah, not having to go to the Superdome when, when you yeah. get that, neutral site game I, I think that matters the last two having to play outside in the cold in Lambeau Field and Soldier Field is is difficult but they've shown in the past that they can I mean and we could talk about this as we get towards January but the technology that these teams have to manage cold we saw with the 49ers in the playoffs last year that is not the same factor that it used to be I, I think Soldier Field still has enough quirks that maybe that becomes a thing but yeah overall I would agree that the the fact that they have the nine home games that you don't have to go to the Superdome, you know, those are little things. But again, we're talking about a team that may make its difference playoffs or not on the margins uh, as part of the competitive rebuild. So, you know, those things probably have a, a say in how it all turns out. Star Tribune, never in a competitive rebuild, always on top. Ben Gessling keeps us there. Appreciate it, sir. We'll talk again soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Mike. I enjoyed that conversation with Ben Gessling. Hope you guys do too. Ben is one of the best in the business and always provides good insights. You know, Ben and I did not talk at all about special teams, but you know, time timely fashion as luck would have it. We didn't really have to because Matt Daniels, special teams coordinator, the new special teams coordinator for the Vikings, talked on Monday. And he had some pretty interesting comments. He's a very fired up guy. Loved, you know, he loved his whole you know, getting fired up for the season, what he looks for in special teams players, stuff like that. But he had a comment about Vikings kicker Greg Joseph that I wanted to play for you now. I put it on record not right now and say that I firmly believe that Greg Joseph will have his best year in his career this year. I'll put it out there right now. I'm sure of it. Uh, the way the, the way he the way he finished up his summer, uh, the way he prepared. And how he has come back and hit the football has been the best that I've seen him. I've only been around for, I don't know, four or five months. But he's been 90. I think he's missed two kicks out of 
35 kicks that he had in uh, three sessions that we've had, uh, hitting it at about 92, 93%. But you could just tell the, pro the process and the approach that, he's, that he is taking on each individual kick. You can just tell he's really dialed in. And I'm excited for Greg. And I, I, I'm, 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 I'm thrilled to have him as my kicker. First of all, that's pretty bold. Um, second of all, for those of you Vikings fans who bear the scars of kicking woes past, you can look at this in one of two ways. One, um, you can say, wow, um, the special teams coordinator really likes Greg Joseph, who had a pretty good year last year, had some notable misses, but had a pretty good year last year. You can look at it and say, this special teams coordinator really likes the Vikings kicker. That it may, Maybe that means this is something I don't have to worry about this year. On the flip side, if you are the kind of Vikings fan who will worry about everything and anything, you might look at this and say, oh man, he just jinxed us for the whole year. And now Greg Joseph is going to have all sorts of problems and there's going to be you know games where you remember this quote. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, what could go wrong with the Vikings kicking game is an easy thing to say. But I think overall, maybe take it as a positive that the new special teams coordinator who has no real, you know, vested interest in, um, you know, Greg Joseph has no real investment other than that's the kicker he was given um, is very high on him right now and thinks he's got he's primed for a great season. So just remember that quote as the year goes on for better or for worse. Let's finish with the cooler. Like I mentioned at the outset, Isaiah Enan, Gophers men's basketball Big man forward out for the season. Another injury for this team. It just seems like they can't catch much of a break right now. Enan, second year in a row that he's going to miss uh, miss time. Injured during summer practice. Six foot ten. They thought that he was going to be someone who's going to help them quite a bit this season. It's, you know, front court. They're kind of lacking in experience. They've already lost Isaiah Enan and Parker Fox. Uh, so just. Tough breaks, can't get these guys healthy, and we'll see kind of how, how much of an impact this has on the season. But tough break for ben, Johnson, ben Johnson's team, and we'll see where they go from here. Speaking of see where they go from here, that'll do it for me today. Should have a lot to talk about on Wednesday show. Again, final show of the week. We'll get the exciting conclusion of the Major League Baseball trade deadline. We'll see how the Twins fare against the Tigers. We'll have all sorts of other stuff as well. Thanks for joining me here on Daily Delivery today. Michael Rand, back at it again on Wednesday.